Thank you, Aggie. Thank you, Tom. I think I've mentioned several times before that there are denominations that don't have senior pastors. Uh, while we're not a denomination, we follow that old tradition, and someone in that church was asked, oh, you're that church that doesn't have any clergy. And they responded, no, we're that church that don't have any laity. That is, um, we're all clergy. And we've been doing this series on vocation as mission or how our jobs intersect our faith. And it's, for, for some of those teachings, it's really been about walking in the shoes of a fellow clergy person in our congregation who's living out their clerical life in a particular job and getting to know them. And so uh, what a privilege to hear about someone figuring out what's it mean for me to carry this particular faith into this thing that I do. How does it relate? And we're going to have the privilege of hearing from Diane Hovey about what that has looked like for a, a long season of nursing. So I'm going to ask Diana to come up. I'm going to pray for you. Then I need to wake up my computer. My computer, this is something very special, um, doesn't wake up until it sees my face. It's just beautiful, isn't it? That, you know, the first thing that she sees when she wakes up is my face. And so it's a she, huh? Yeah. So she's falling asleep. I've got to wake her up, so it means I've got to put my face in front of her. But let me pray for and you. If she doesn't wake up, I don't hear the questions. Right? Yes, right. The questions are on the computer. Yeah. God, thanks that you've put us in fellowship with others who are trying to figure out what it means to love you and follow you in this world. Thanks for Diana Hovey. Thanks for the ways that she's done that. Imperfectly, but beautifully, I'm sure. Help us to listen to what you have to say to us, even though we're listening to a particular person who's got a particular frame of how she's engaged mm -hmm. the gospel, faith, and life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. And I would add to that, uh, may I speak the Lord's words here, no more, no less, because I do have a tendency to go on. <laughs> so the question, as I remember it, is what does God or God's kingdom have to do with my work? But I do not see that. There it is. <laughs> I got my nursing license in 1981, and before that, for four years, I worked as an ER tech um, while I was in nursing school. So it has been a long, long time in my life. Um, actually, most of my life. And so that's a lot, that's difficult to ca capture. So what I've resolved to do in answering all these questions is to just stick to yesterday. Yesterday was a 13-hour shift. Like I'm got a lot of noise. It was a 13-hour shift. Uh, everything went well. And every patient is a world unto their own. So what does God uh, have to do with my work? A 75-year-old person is waiting for a bed at hospice, but is in the hospital until that bed arrives. She's been in and out for years, many, many conditions um, that limit her life. 
and she's finally decided to call it quits. I'm not a hospice nurse, I'm not a home health nurse, I'm a vascular access expert, which means needles and veins and a very focused practice that I've had for the last three and a half years. I enter the scene because nobody can start an IV and she needs something for pain. And she needs something that she can have for pain when she leaves the hospital. I'm blessed with a machine, an ultrasound, costs $40,000, is made by a company called Bard Multinational, definitely a part of the empire. But I come with that machine and start an IV that nobody else could start. And she's very, very happy, and she thanks me. And that was my first patient yesterday. Um, a couple, three weeks ago, Linda gave a, gave a great teaching where she talked about work, what is work. She went back in, in her teaching to the creation, and the three things that we took home not taking notes, but what came right to the heart was beauty, order, and benefit. So I don't need to tell you that I saw that woman as beautiful. I was going to try not to be gendered. I, I saw that human being as beautiful in all her pain and disease. I saw that image of that vein on my screen as beautiful. So I don't think I really needed to bring the beauty, but the device in the veins, securely, sterilely placed with a great dressing. I thought that was beautiful, so that's the beautiful I brought. And the smile on her face saying, thank you so much. These lines can stay in for 28 days, by the way, and I'm hoping that it lasts till she dies. I think it will. Uh, so that's order as well, pain. Um, I think pain sometimes makes it hard to see God, and I think once once people can relax a little bit and feel um, feel relief of their pain, they can rest in the presence, like that last song said, just rest in the arms of Jesus. Um, so that's the benefit. I think I can stop there. What's the next question? It's like a chart at the doctor's. Um, <laughs> what did I imagine, did I imagine, or what did I imagine I'd be doing um, when I was 22? When I was 22, that was the year I got married. At that time, I was working at the emergency room in Evanston Hospital, Illinois as an emergency room tech, one of the best jobs I ever had, so much fun. Um, so by the time I was 22, I knew I would be in nursing. I was in nursing school. But nursing is so big. You know, everything from home care to end of life care to catching babies everything along the lifespan, everything along the economic spectrum. But I was pretty much dead set that I'd be an ER nurse, 
because I loved that job. And I loved the turnover, and I loved the stories over and over and over, many, many stories, you know, so fast they come. Um, and in a way, I found that comforting. I found the pace comforting. But that was when I was 22. <laughs> um, I have always loved a job that I could punch out of because I get so deeply into the people's stories that I take them home with me, I worry about them, I, I fret. I, I get into a place that is not of God because perfect love casts out fear, but I would be fearful, you know, fearful of outcomes. Um, so the emergency room, actually, the pace kind of kept that at bay because of the task-oriented, just get it done, get it done, get it done. And at the end, you could look back and say, okay, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, so let's take the next question. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Okay. Did it go down? I'm getting a lot of breath noise, too, and I was wondering about that. I'm sorry about that. <coughs> I am breathless, though. It's like I could switch to the other mic, too, of course. Okay. Carl and Lanzer once told me that there are no mistakes in church. Everything happens for a reason. So one of the things we say, helping people through pain, the pain of getting an IV started, is... Focus on your breath. Thank you, Lord, for reminding me to say that. Um, helping people to focus on their breath, to breathe through. Um, by the time they've taken a deep breath, like I asked them to, I've got the IV in. Um, so anyway, yes, I did, I did think I would be doing what I'm doing in nursing, but I actually never dreamed of vascular access team uh, that precise, that that uh, focused a job that I would not have even been able to conceive of. I don't know that we had the ultrasound technology back in 81. So. Hmm. And the next question, I think, is what's fun about my job? Hard, hard is first. Okay. Time. I think the difference between life on earth and life in the kingdom, life in heaven, is time. We have to be linear here. It's one thing after another. And some days you have to do so many one things after another. I see Alex smiling at me. It's too much. It's just plain too much some days. And to have to make the decision, what gets left for tomorrow? What, uh, hey, thanks. Um, what can I just, what do I just have to say no to? Or who do I have to tell, wait, I can't get there, it'll be an hour, maybe more. Um, so putting people off and not being able to be there for them because there's not enough staff, there's not enough time, there's not enough me to be able to say, I'll be right there. 
to be able to say into my phone or to text, I'll be right there and have the charge nurse say, great, and then to get the job done, you know, an IV that nobody could get. That's what's great about my job. We'll just segue right into it. Um, but really, since for me, the patient is at the center of the kingdom of God for me when I'm at work, and I can explain that a little bit later, um, the charge nurse says, great. My colleagues say, great. That's wonderful. But when the patient says, thank you, that didn't even hurt. What did you do? We have our ways. Um, <laughs> and um, that's what's good. That's the greatest good. The other thing that is good, though, there are a few more. Um, I earn pay and sustain my family uh, myself, help support uh, a volunteer worker, my husband, in his chosen path, um, you know, and lay a foundation for my children as they grow financially. I cannot not say that. And that comes from the empire. That comes from the fact that we have Medicare, that we have insurance, that we have our crazy system that... Uh, we don't do it unless we can pay for it. Um, but it's good that I get paid. Um, although Kermit has heard me say more than once, God, this was such a good day. I would probably have paid them to let me have it. <laughs> you know, that's hyperbole. It's not true. So, <laughs> And, you know, partly as I need to be protected, I need to... Um, you know, be protected if anything goes amiss. And that's, you know, that's going back and forth, good and bad. The other hard thing is when something fails, when there are complications, you know, the above all, do no harm. So when there's an infection, when there's bleeding, when there's um, pain that just doesn't go away, when we're face to face with something that we just can't fix, that's hard. And when I'm being ordered by a doctor to go ahead and do something anyway, when my gut tells me it's time to back off, that's hard. Um, the nice thing about my role, you know, having a board certification now, having this very tight specialty, is that I now have the right to say no to MDs. I usually don't say no. I say, have you thought about this, this other thing, this other path, what does the patient want? So that's good. But the fact that we still have to do that is bad. And I, it is every day, every patient, good, bad, good, bad. You can't quite separate them into two separate questions. It's like sides of a coin. So, and what's my next question? Thank you. I also resolved not to have notes because I feel like God helps me. I mean, it helps me kind of channel God better than, you know. But that is very good. Come, okay, I'm going to repeat it. Uh, when I talked to Scott about this, I talked about liking to have a job that I can punch out of because my parish nurse job, my encounters with home health just weighed on me too much. When I'm in acute care in the hospital, 
and really doing vascular access specifically, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then I'm done. Um, and that's called compartmentalization. What I do here has nothing to do with the whole rest of my life. And that, a busy day, that's how I have to do. I have to compartmentalize. I have to this patient, then this patient, then this patient, just to get to everybody. But in a way, that's at the expense of the kingdom because the kingdom takes you outside of time. It takes you into the eternal now. And we don't have time for the eternal now when there's that many patients. You know? And so Scott suggested the term, and this has absolutely helped me and transformed my day yesterday, incarnation. That what if instead of compartmentalizing, we think of incarnation, as in, I thought initially, I incarnate Christ. I come into the room, I bring healing, I bring comfort, I bring kind words, um, I bring access to life-saving or pain-saving medications. I incarnate. But then I realized, well, that's kind of a crock, really. The incarnation is the patient. That's the kingdom of God is right there in front of me, and I am approaching it. I have to say, please, I have to say, may I? I have to explain what I'm doing. Um, I don't take off my shoes and bow down, but I could. You know, it, it just feels like that what, when they trust you to do something for them, and it's not just vascular access, it's how specific should I get? You know, if you've ever had somebody you love in the hospital, there's tubes everywhere, in the nose, in the mouth, help breathing, um, in ICU. Uh, you know, everything that has an orifice can have a tube put in it, and a monitor, and something that makes a sound, you know. And that is a sacred trust. When, you know, a person is within their own skin, a human being, and I'm not there, I'm not them, I'm outside of them. So I have a sacred trust anytime any of us come at a patient. They are giving us, um, it's, it's almost like Christ opening his hands and saying, come to me. I better know that I'm coming with a clean heart. I better know that I'm coming with the best job I can do. Um, and sometimes I have to come also with, you know, penitence. Like, I'm so sorry you're here. I hope this helps. We'll see you through this. But in my mind, you know, I see a more grave outcome. Um, yeah. So incarnating has helped me, but I thought initially, the, you know, the concept of incarnating Christ I really did start out thinking, you meant me, Scott. And no, it's the patience. Or maybe just like good and bad, it goes back and forth. You know, I'm like Christ, patience like Christ. We are Christ together, and we become one for a while, you know. And then the nurse moves on. Now, I have one patient at a time. That's also something that's good. Uh, floor nurses at St. Mary's now will have... 
four or five, six patients, depending on where they're working, and will maybe be supervising up to three nursing assistants. So that is up to nine living souls that they have to interact with in their day. That's a lot of incarnation. So, um, so my hat's off to them too. And what was our last question? What's that? Second to last? So I became a Christian in college. I met Kermit and we started going to an InterVarsity small group. So every time anybody says InterVarsity, in my mind I go back to college. And the scripture we studied in our first was Matthew 6, the whole chapter, Sermon on the Mount. And out of that whole study, I became a Christian, I made friends, and I heard a scripture that has hopefully been my life's scripture, which is, seek ye first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added. And the things I worry about, the things that will be added, change from day to day. So, as long as you seek first the kingdom, you know that you're you're kind of right with Jesus and you're right with your work. Um, so that is something from college days that I definitely draw from. Um, hats off to everybody who works as a volunteer or staff person at InterVarsity. Um, my college was Northwestern University. Um, God, they got creamed yesterday, didn't they? One of my rooms I went into and the, the game was on and I said, how are they doing? And the patient, of course, said, oh man, it's a bloodbath, they're doing great. <laughs> and I said, so you're assuming who I meant by they, you know. <laughs> and then we got on to talking about, you know, my career and where I come from and, you know, which is Chicago area. So, um, yeah, so thank you, University. Thank you, small groups. Thank you, Sermon on the Mount and Jesus, those beautiful words. And by the way, I will also say that is a scripture I often don't live up to. That's a daily thing, is keeping an eye out for the kingdom where it's happening. But it's a lot easier when I'm at work because every room, there it is. So I actually do like the way all my questions kind of sneak into the next one, right? Have you noticing that? So, let's go back to what I was saying about the kingdom. The kingdom starts for me with the patient. Whether the patient is just overnight uh, for observation or is in their second month gravely ill in the ICU. So that was semi-spectrum from yesterday. Um, you know, uh, observation bed or ICU and everything in between, there's that patient. Now, the closer I am to that patient, I don't feel like I have to do much reconciliation because we are face-to-face. -face. We are with one another, and I am confident that I am bringing, I am seeing beauty, I am bringing benefit, I am restoring order to something that's a mess. Somebody, some of our people have been poked 10 times overnight unsuccessfully, and that's just wrong. <laughs> um, uh, and that's another one of our initiatives, is teaching people to use the ultrasound 
and bugging administration to have ultrasound on every floor. So this just doesn't happen. People shouldn't have to wait for one nurse to come do something that, anyway, so I'm okay as long as I'm right at the bedside. But the further I get from the bedside, the shakier um, I feel as far as my involvement with Empire. Um, even with the patient, I'm cool, but like I said, I've got the ultrasound, I'm about a foot away from the patient, and here I have this machine um, made by the forces of Empire, but we really need it. So the reconciliation is when that machine meets the person, helps the person the, the, for that moment that piece of that empire is in the kingdom. I don't know that we could have the technology and the life-saving things that we have if we didn't have empire, and which would, I would mean like uh, financial incentives, uh, people to pay the bills, people to continue the research. New drug research is very expensive. A lot of drugs can be given freely and aren't very expensive to make, but that first one, that first pill, that first pill can cost a million dollars because it took how many? Five? Because it took 10 years to get on the market. So that requires incentive. You know, that requires long-term investment and empire. So, okay, I'm good with the ultrasound. Now I get a little further back and I'm in the hospital, the institution. Well, I work for a not-for-profit Catholic hospital we do have to earn money and be sustainable, but there are, there's vision. It's a, it's a mission-driven organization. Through our excellent healthcare, we reveal the healing, or excuse me, we reveal the, um, thank you, help me. The healing presence of God. Another St. Mary's nurse back there. Just the mic kind of makes your brain go crazy. Um, anyway. So so that helps. I'm reconciled, I think. But I know that there are financial pressures. There are questionable investments. There are people that are left uh, and not cared for as well as other people. There, it starts to feel more like the empire is kind of encroaching when, I'm, when I look at my institution. Nevertheless, when I started there 30 years ago, to this day in St. Louis, there is a Franciscan sister of Mary praying for us and all 13 or 14 of our entities. And when I heard that at orientation, I thought, all right, I'm in the right place. I mean, it gave me chills. So, okay, I'm reconciled. Now I'm going out a little further to our community, to our healthcare system, to, um, oh man, now I'm really shaky because I just can't even stand to look at this. I can't stand to look at how many people don't get cared for, at how expensive things are. It's smoke and mirrors. Things don't have to be this expensive. There's all sorts of um, pressures that bit by bit, you know, the piecemeal nature of insurance. This person gets this covered, but this other person doesn't because I've got, um, you know, Dean Gold and they've got Medicaid. What the hell, you know? So I have my own personal thoughts about what we should be doing. And so when I'm way out there and so shaky, how do I reconcile? I vote. You guys should be voting. 
I also pray. I know you're all praying. Um, but, you know, seek the Lord for your convictions and then vote accordingly. Vote for people who will support what you believe should be happening and then it'll be lost in Congress for another couple of decades. But, and I think you'll hear more about voting and government from Kermit next week, right? But um, the world. So I have one thing to say about the world, and this brings me back to the center. Short story, and then I'll be done. Maybe time for questions, even. Um, I brought this as a reminder of both Empire and the Kingdom. Dunkin' Donuts bag. I see Brian with this, like, what the heck? <laughs> So it's a Dunkin' Donuts bag. But I was in Minneapolis, just off of I-94, kind of a poor neighborhood, but it was close to the interstate. And my ideal was get on, get off, okay? But yeah, Greenbush is amazing (coughs) and local. But I was in Minneapolis for a conference. I was there four days. On my own, it was really different. I haven't done anything like that before. Like usually I've gone with someone or gone with Kermit, but I was, you know, just determined. Association for Vascular Access. It is a multinational organization. It's my credentialing organization. It, uh, the motto is protect the patient educate the practitioner, save the line. And the line is whatever safe, reliable vascular access you've established. And every IV should last until treatment is done. We shouldn't have things infiltrating. We shouldn't have things bleeding. We shouldn't have things falling out. I really wanted to be there. I wanted to be at this conference because there's so much research. There's so much, so much, you know, to, to know. But it's a conference. And if anybody has ever been to a an industry conference. The exhibit hall is where I was most reminded of overturning tables. (laughs) It was the belly of the beast. Company after company after company with really cool stuff. You know, they're they're using super glue now, cyanoacrylate, highly purified and sterile, but they're using it at IV sites to secure and also to prevent germs from cl- climbing up the line. Just really forms a tight seal. But it's freaking super glue. And that actually was my favorite e- exhibit because they had good research. But anyway, it, people were there because of money. People were there because they were wanting patient-facing company. There were representatives of companies talking to patient facing workers like myself, or administrators, or managers, who make decisions, who influence decisions. And I know um, one decision is there's a huge company named Aero, which is kind of cool because everything they make is invasive, so the name of the company is Aero. And we do have a lot of their stuff in our OR, but we have chosen Bard as our, you know, our vendor. so everything was sort of geared toward getting us away from Bard, or getting everybody away from the big boys. 
you know. And I just, I, I met some amazing people, uh, entrepreneurs, inventors, women, um, women who got trademarks for things that I really want and I intend to tell patients about. Um, just, we won't carry them, but they'll be able to look them up maybe on Amazon, talk about empire. Um, you know, so it, innovation. Innovation is part of part of empire, really, can be, the support of innovation. But I could really picture myself kind of walking in and going and just overturning things at some stations where maybe the rep looked a little bored, was on their phone. I don't know. You can kind of smell it when people aren't really into what they're doing and their heart isn't in it. God help them. Uh, you know, they need a new job. But also, the, you were, I was just so aware of the money. They fed us. They bought me two drinks on two different days, like with alcohol. Um, the, I don't know. I just, a lot of money, a lot of innovation, a lot of inspiration. Um, so much to, you know, more than I could take in, really. So four days of that. Now I'm just tired, hungry, want to get home. I-94 is uh, the path of the Lord for me, right? Um, so, and this is all on um, reconciling my work with Empire. Here's how you know. This is a story about how you know when you've gone astray a little bit or a lot or how you know when you're kind of well-centered. I'm on I-94, and I've got my phone set to the nearest Dunkin' Donuts because I know I can get a great sandwich, an incredible latte, and I can get it fast and get going, right? So I'm, you know, I'm in the throes of empire. I've just come from empire. I spent four days there. Um, As I'm waiting, I have my latte already, but I'm waiting for my sandwich. This is a, a Snelling Avenue. It's a, a, a kind of poor, very diverse, right on the highway kind of neighborhood. A man comes in, uh, probably in his 40s. He's got that really uh, suntanned, leathery skin. He's Caucasian, but he looks like he's spent a lot of time outdoors. And it wasn't sunbathing. You know, it was weather exposure. It was... Um, you know, I had a story in my head that he might be homeless or he was definitely underhoused and underfunded. He was disadvantaged in many ways. He was also clearly mentally ill because he was talking kind of incoherently. And when he came in, I saw the person behind the counter kind of take a breath. Now, a lot, of, a lot of businesses on streets like that just have a plan. They will give someone a cup of coffee. They will give someone a certain sandwich. They will just give and consider that part of how we do business in this neighborhood. But apparently not Dunkin' Donuts. Um, she said, I can give you water. And he's still talking incoherently, but I literally heard the, him say the word coffee. And right at that, kind of right at that moment for drama, I'll say, right just then, he said coffee. And my sandwich came up, and uh, somebody else from behind handed it to me. What do you think I did? Anybody? What's that? 
Any other guesses? I bought a cup of coffee for him. That was one guess. What'd you say, Derek? So you both are clearly nicely centered in the kingdom of God. Or at least perceived to be that. Honest to God, this is true. I had my sandwich, I had my latte, and as God is my witness, I turned around and got in my car and drove home and didn't think about that man until 24 hours later when Scott called to kind of you know, get, get going on this talk. And it was funny, the minute I saw the name Scott Bessenecker on my phone, I remembered the guy. I hadn't thought about him. And I cried a little bit. I cried like that was such a no-brainer. Less than $10. Give him a sandwich. Give him the latte. Maybe ask if he's lactose intolerant. We could get you a black one if you want. But maybe he wasn't even hungry. Maybe that isn't what he wanted. But the fact that, or needed, but the fact that I didn't even think when I had it right in my hands and we were as close as, oh, way closer than I am to the first row here. I mean, I walked right past him. So what that tells me is I was just basically out of the kingdom. And so much time, four days, in a very economically driven organization, no quiet time. God, it was so busy. Um, No quiet time, probably not enough sleep. Um, I think that blinded me. So reconciliation isn't a once-for-all, like salvation. You know, the Lord, you believe Jesus, you're saved, it's done. No matter how naughty you are the rest of your life, I believe you're still saved. Reconciliation, however, happens day by day, maybe hour by hour, maybe incident by incident, patient by patient. It's something that's always going on, making what I'm doing be able to face and stand up to what Jesus is doing. And then we're in the kingdom. And it's been a long time since I really said a tearful prayer of repentance. How did I not give that guy a sandwich and my cup of coffee? You know? It's because I was dwelling in empire. And at some level, you really can't reconcile it, especially when you're faced with a poor mentally unstable, possibly homeless guy. You can't really reconcile it unless you give them something. So that is all I have to say. I'm five minutes ahead of what Scott told me we were shooting for. There are at least two other nurses here who have careers very different from mine. If they have anything to add or if anybody has questions, I would love to take a couple minutes. Yeah. I appreciate, Diana, what you're saying. And a lot of what we're talking about when we're looking at different professions is what does it mean to be in but not of the world? Like the principalities and powers that govern many things on this planet are things that we're to remain uh, in but not of. That's really hard to do, and I appreciate your honesty. 
And as much as my name... I always hate it when somebody says, I appreciate your honesty. Uh, I don't appreciate your honesty. (laughs) Oh, God, what did I say? Anyway. Um, A little disconcerting that when when you saw my name, it provoked your thinking of someone who would do something, because I don't always do that kind of thing. But you are someone who incarnates, especially you do it in front of us, by bringing the word and by bringing it in a clear, concise understandable way um you know you're one of the people i think of when i think of jesus well so it it just it was so weird that i didn't even think of him and i didn't think of giving him anything i will you know as long as memory serves i'm gonna think about that and that's what you know i have this in my car now (laughs) it just reminds me to i also really like because i did mean incarnation in that we bring Christ, but Matthew 25, it's like, you know. In as much as uh, the incarnation is the person in prison, right. the person without clothes. So and I appreciate that perspective. We've talked about that with the, um, with the triangle as well. Let's not come in thinking we have it right. and we're going to give it. We need opportunities to receive from that community. Those are the folks that are going to fix us. Not necessarily the other way around. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much. I think we'll wrap up here. Yes. Uh, There are a few announcements. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I I appreciate the question. Yeah, we'll have a few announcements. And then uh, we will go offline because we want to spend some time praying for the Colos. This is their... Uh, one of their last Sundays here. And then um, those who can stay will have a very short family meeting, and Peter will come up. But Janine, do you want to give a few announcements now, and then we'll go offline so that we can pray for the colos, but the people aren't.